Hello everyone and welcome to Inside the Arena podcast brought to you by Piers Arena. On Inside the Arena podcast, we talk about mental health, well-being and every other issues and challenges we all face in our day-to-day lives. And on each episode, we'll be having a guest on to talk about their own experience with these issues and most importantly, how they are able to navigate and overcome life struggles and challenges. I am your host, Tony, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. You're welcome. You're yeah. most welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. So, um, do you mind like introducing yourself to our audience? Okay, thank you. I am SP Benjamin Hundei. I am the Police Public Relations Officer, Lagos State Command. Okay. Um, we're very, very happy to have you on here today. Um, and I'm looking for I've been looking forward to this conversation basically all week. And I'm truly hoping we can find some kind of middle ground and see how we can move forward as a society. Because I truly, truly be, believe in the power of conversations. So um thank you very much. Um what should I really call you? Um should I call you Benjamin or Hyundai in like which do you, which would you prefer through the course of this conversation? The one thing I'm so used to is people just calling me Piero. Hey Piero, what do you think about this? Piero, what do you think about that? That's what I'm most um conversant with. Okay. But it's fine. If you Piero. want to use name Ben, it's okay. Benjamin is okay. Okay, it's fine. Ben or Benjamin, yeah. So why don't you start like by just telling us a little bit about yourself, like what people really don't know about you in person, not your job, not what you do on a daily basis or what people have come to identify you with. But maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. I, I don't know what exactly I should say about myself. Uh, my name is Benjamin. I studied English language, Lagos State University. I was born and bred in Lagos. I'm from Badagri local government. Um, what else am I to say? Um, I joined the police force as a cadet assistant superintendent of police. I trained at the Nigeria Police Academy, Woodill, Kano State. Um, I'm married with children. And um, okay, I did my master's at the University of Ibadan in legal criminology and security psychology. And I've been to the United Nations peacekeeping in Darfur, Sudan. And um, basically, I think that's it. I'm a quite boring person, so I don't have many things to talk about. <laughs> uh, okay, I basically read books and watch movies. So that's it, basically. Um, so what did you do before joining the police force? Well, for me... Um, I joined the force. I joined the force shortly after my youth service in Bielsa, but there was a there was like a, a six month break. Yeah, there was like a six month break between my completing NYC and resuming at the police academy. So within that period, I was an English teacher at um, government secondary school Amasoma in southern Ijoluku government area of Bielsa State. So basically, after graduation, I taught, I edited, and um, I joined the force. Okay, um, it's interesting to note that before I went for NYSE, we had like a like a six-month break too, yes, between graduation and NYSE. So within those six months, I went to the Federal Radio Corporation of Nigeria Training School, now 
called National Broadcast Academy in Ikeja, Shogunle, Ikeja, where I did a course in journalism. And I practiced journalism at um, uh, Inspiration FM 92.3 on Legali Ayurede, Victoria Island, Lagos. As in, I did the real thing. I went, I went out, got stories, interviewed people, came back and wrote my stories, submitted them. So I did a bit of all of these before I joined the force. Yeah, that's that's very very interesting and when you talked about editing what kind of editing are you really talking about i was editing new scripts basically oh okay so um according to what you just said now um almost immediately after your nyc and you had a six months break you you joined the police force so was that something you always wanted to do because it seemed like you already knew that that was something you were going to get into yes um as far back as um when i was in secondary school yes i think so my, my dad was in the habit of buying these weekly magazines, um, news, news, uh, well, well, there are magazines, weekly magazines like Tell, um, News Watch. Yeah, so my dad always bought them every Monday. They came out every Monday. And in this particular one, Tell, I think they do personality profile on a weekly basis. For each edition, they'll take somebody and do a profile of the person. So this particular one, I was just reading through because I, I, I read a lot. Um, so I was just going through and I saw the personality profile and it was IGP Tafabalugu. And I was impressed at what I saw. That, oh, he studied, um, was it was it sociology he did first? Then he went for, he went uh, and did law. He did law after sociology and um, he was the best graduating student. And then he went to the police academy, was the best graduating student. Then he went to military some military institutions like Defense College or War College, as it was called back then. And he had, he did this course with military men, Army, Navy, Air Force, and he came out the best graduating students again. So I was impressed. I was like, oh, police is not actually for non-entities like people make us believe. We have very educated people there. Okay, fine. And I've always been someone who likes law and order. If I walk into a room and... And the, the shoe is not in the shoe rack. I would go and put it there, even if it's not my business. I'll go and put it there. If I'm going and I see that someone is passing the road they shouldn't pass, I'm angry. Like, why can't? So I'm, I, I love, I love um, law and order. Uh, I, some people might want to call it, um, there's this thing they call it, something obsessive um, compulsive. OCD, yes. What is it called? Obsessive compulsive disorder, something like that. Yes, exactly. You got it right. So basically, mm -hmm. you love orderliness. I love orderliness to a fault. So, so when I read um, Safa Balogun's profile, I was like, okay, fine. I think this is where I can get some backing, some authority, some yeah law behind me to get orderliness. Because ordinarily, I can't go to the street and say, you can't do that. You can't do that. People would actually beat me up. Like, what's your business? But as a police officer, I'll be able to do that. So that was when I got interest um, in joining the police. And I kept my focus. And luckily for me, the last month of my NYC, the form for police academy came out. So I, I took it while I was still um, at the NYC. So immediately I finished my NYC, I just went to my local government to sign with my um, traditional ruler, sign with the DPO in my local government, sign with my local government government chairman you know i did all of that submitted went for the screening and i scaled through wow that's that's very very interesting the fact that you always knew you wanted to do to do this as a career um so was the training process what you what you really expected it to be were you 
impressed by it? Were you, um, what was it, what was that experience really like for you? Okay, so the, the training experience was um, tailored um, more after like an MSc because we were all graduates. So it was more like doing a master's. Um, so I particularly loved it because I studied, you know, okay, the training was for 18 months, 18 months. Um, so it was broken into three, basic, um, intermediate, and advanced. Basic, intermediate, and advanced. So, And um, lawyers were on ground to teach us lots and lots and lots of criminal law. Lots and lots of criminal law. <clears throat> so I got to know things I did not know before about the law. You know, we had to buy all the law books and study them. And we would write continuous assessment tests and we would write exams, and we would do interviews. So it was very detailed, and they would bring, um, they, brought, uh, they brought guest lecturers from other security agencies. The SSS would send somebody to teach us some things. Um, the immigration would come, the army would come, everybody would come, and we would ask questions. So it was 18 months of reorientation from just that... Um, Nobody to somebody who has full grasp of the law. And we actually wrote our long essay too, just like you would do in any university. Pick a topic, we're assigned supervisors. And um, I wrote my long essay and um, I defended it. There was a panel, you have to defend it and everything. And you are, at the end of the day, you are issued your certificate. So it's the same certificate. It has the same standing with the certificate you get in Police Academy Egypt or police academy anywhere in the world. In fact, with this certificate, you can actually get some policing jobs outside Nigeria, some policing jobs. So it was fun. It was fun. And, um, well, going through the, the manual, we didn't get to do everything that was stated in the manual, but we did uh, over 80% of what was in the manual. I particularly remember that they did not teach us how to drive. In the academy, every policeman is supposed to be taught how to drive a manual, 4 by 4 So that by the time you're out, you're a, a, a trained driver. But I guess there, were, there, wasn't, um, there weren't enough resources for that. So that was something we did not do. I had to go and learn driving myself. But basically, it was a very fantastic experience. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear it from that perspective. And yeah. And I think I think um, it's an ever evolving um, and a continuous process of improvement on the training, on the training sense. Like okay, like you talking about maybe the resources weren't available at the particular time for the driving in particular. And have you heard anything ever since then? Like maybe it has gotten better, and maybe that those um, trainings have been put into place uh, like since you left or something like that. Yes, a lot of things have improved. It has been upgraded to. It has been upgraded to a degree awarding institution and there are many facilities, many more facilities. But I don't think they've actually included the driving aspects for now. Um, but like you said, it's evolving. So we hope that will come on board. Yes, we hope that will come on board. But you can categorically say that it has gotten way much better from the time oh, you had the training to oh, this time. Man, you need to visit Police Academy. You need to see the Senate building. Because now that it's a degree awarding institution, they have more lecturers, they have a vice chancellor, uh, a professor, while they also have um, a commandant. That's the, so that's the police head and the civilian head. And more, more um, hostels, 
more parade grounds for parade drills and more of everything and more courses. It's not just what we did. You know, we were already graduates when we came in. So they just taught us the police aspect. But now they have various courses there. People do law, people do criminology, sociology and everything. So the capacity has improved a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm truly, truly glad to hear that. And I really hope that trajectory continues and the, the screening and training process continues to get way much better in order for us to bring in the right people. So um, um, part of the reason why I really wanted to have a conversation with you was because I wanted to talk about the relationship between the Nigerian police and the Nigerian society and some of the misconceptions and some of the... Um, how would I put this? Some of the differences that are between these two parties. I think we can really agree that there are some differences and that needs to be reconciled, right? Yes. Okay. So, um, and I, I don't think we can um, really have that conversation without setting the right table or, or prepare a sort of like a foundation for us to kind of have that conversation. And I think part of that setting that foundation will probably be asking you um, what can you categorically say it's the primary responsibility of the Nigerian police force? Well, um, maintenance of law and order, uh, protection of life and property, prevention and detection of crime, apprehension and um, prosecution of criminals, basically. Yeah. Basically, that's, that's what we do. Yes, on the basic, that's... And, and I think we can all agree as humans that we actually need these functionalities in our society in order for us to have a well-functioning society, right? I don't think any, I don't think anybody is in dispute when it comes to that particular aspect. We need law and order in any society, in any civilization, no matter how small or big. That's why we tend to have, even on your streets, you have like your chairman, you have um, your escorts that make sure they are run smoothly. And we can say that in any organization and the rest of it. So, yeah, I think that's primarily very important. So, um, and that's why the police force is very, very important. So, why do you now think there's this um, negative predetermined mindset when it comes to the police force with the Nigerian society? And how do you think we can actually address that? Well, it's, it's not something that started in just one day. It's something that has built up over the past. And um, and there were good reasons for, or there are still good reasons for that um, <clears throat> distrust. Because yes, there were cases in the past of uh, maybe high-handedness on the part of the police or corrupt practices, yes. But um, things are getting better. Things are improving. Um, the accountability mechanisms are being strengthened on a daily basis. So more police officers are sitting tight and are being upright because the, the bad ones are being punished accordingly. Um, so it, it's something that we're working on and it, we expect, I mean, we don't expect it to, to, we don't expect people to just start trusting the police in 24 hours. It's going to be a gradual process. It's going to be more about our actions and not what we say. That's why we try to um, punish erring officers and make it public. Um, so that, that basically, that's what we, we need to do. And that's what we've started to do to make sure that we punish um, 
aspiring officers. And um, we are hoping too that people will try to be objective when dealing with the police because people tend to turn blind eyes to um, the good side of the police. They all sum it, sum it up with, oh, he's just in his job. That's what he's paid to do. But when something goes wrong, they make so much noise about it. So I'm not saying they should not complain when something goes wrong, but try to be objective. Try to make the police to feel loved. Because as it stands, some police officers think, oh, people just hate us. People just hate us. When we do something good, they won't say, oh, we're done. Oh, nice job. I won't do something bad and make noise. Just try to balance your criticism too. And there's nowhere in the world where people totally trust or like the police. Nowhere in the world. But still, we need to close up the trust gap. Because we need the people to function effectively. If the people decide to withhold information, the police cannot succeed. We need information from members of the public. So it's a continuous process. And um, well, if I'm allowed to assess the Lagos State Police Command, especially since the new CP, Abiyad Nualabi, came on board, I would say we are succeeding at that. Some people might say it's slow. Yes, but we are succeeding. More and more officers are doing the right thing now. And we hope that with time, there will be very little distrust between the people and the police. And I'm truly, truly hoping for that time to come. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of Nigerians, a lot of Lagosians are actually looking forward to that. Um, one of the things I truly, truly appreciated from everything you just said now is actually acknowledging the fact that, yes, there's this distrust. And yes, it actually stems from some of the things that have happened within the Nigerian police force and how that has actually affected the psychology of Nigerians. And admitting the fact that, um, I wouldn't say admitting because it's not like we are doing a got you, got you here, but acknowledging the fact that um, it's not just going to change overnight and everybody needs to come into that process in order for it to be really successful is something I truly appreciate. A lot of people see you being on Twitter as a negative and they tend to pick on maybe some of anything they can find holes in and poking into. But I actually appreciate the fact that a little bit of transparency is being put out to the public. No matter what we actually think about that situation, I actually think it's a good thing. And it's not just going to get better overnight, like you rightly said. It's a continuous process. But the fact that you are out there, like, I don't think before now... And thanks to social media and thanks to um, technology and the rest of it, I don't think before, be, be, there was a time we had this level of access, right, to people in your position and to people um, in the police. And we thank God that things are getting better. And I truly, truly believe it's only going to get better as long as we all agree that there's a problem that needs to be tackled and we all are working towards that um common goal and outcome so yeah that's just like that's what i fundamentally and primarily think and talking about um the tr the mistrust from people right um have you ever thought about it or looked at it from the point that maybe sometimes it had to do it has to do with like trauma that people have actually experienced from hearing stories um being in contact with um the police some of the, some of the bad actors in the police because i think it is very very difficult speaking like from a human perspective right we're all humans i think it is very very difficult for people to just fundamentally let go of things that they've been accustomed to all their lives right i think you'd agree with that well i agree with that but um 
at the, at the same time, the truth remains that most of the people that uh, that talk about uh, police unprofessionalism, let me use that word, are people that have never had any any instance of um, police unprofessionalism, people that have never suffered any sort of um, bad behavior from the police. They just jump on the bandwagon. I'm not saying, each, each time I say this, people always choose to misunderstand me and say, oh, I'm denying that these things happen. I'm invalidating people's experiences. No, I'm not. These things happen. If they don't happen, then I wouldn't be tweeting pictures of um, erring police officers. All over my timeline on Twitter, you, you see it that, oh, I've identified this bad cop. This was it did. I, I, I put the person's name, his picture, what it did, and, and, and let people know what disciplinary action is being taken. So I'm not denying it, but I still insist that um, people just jump on the bandwagon and be like, yeah, police did this, police did that, police did this. But call the same people. The last time you went out, describe your encounter with the police. It's, 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 not, it's actually nothing um, that bad. So, yes. It's trauma, what they've suffered in the past, but sometimes too, it's just um, hearsay. Uh, but whichever it is, trauma or hearsay, there's, that, like I said, there's genuine reason for the distrust. But I, I dare say, I dare say that things are getting better. In fact, I can use myself as an example to tell you that things are getting better. Because people call me a lot. People call me a lot. People send messages a lot. SMS, WhatsApp, Twitter DM, Instagram DM. People send a lot of messages. The trust is coming back. People say, oh, please. I ordinarily, I wouldn't do this, but I think I can trust you. This and this happened at so-so place. They give me details they would not readily give to police officers. So, well, somebody might argue that it's just you, Ben. It's not the entire system. Well, but it's a good place to start. So. Trauma, yes, but it's getting better. It's getting better. And people, more and more people now come out to give testimonies, good testimonies. So gradually, we are, uh, we are getting away from the trauma and uh, we are going to heal and together we'll make Nigeria a better place. Yeah, amen to that. I truly believe that. And yeah, so, but I just want to piggyback on something you said earlier on and when you talked about um, most of the people who are talking about these issues and making the noise like you rightly said but i don't think it's noise but at creating awareness around these issues are people who have not maybe been in direct contact with some of these violations of human rights and the rest of it yeah i want to also agree with that but uh, but that's i think i think it is very very important for us to acknowledge the fact that change would only come when we all speak up we don't necessarily have to wait until when we're personally affected, right? Or until somebody we know is personally affected before we speak out against some of the injustice that we see. And that's, that's I think that's the way social change um, is being made. That's the way we drive the conversations, by creating awareness. So it doesn't necessarily matter if somebody has not been personally affected, but it's okay for us to actually join voices with the people who have been affected and speak out so more actions can be taken so i think it's very, very... I, I totally i totally i totally agree with you and that's that for this reason 
sometime back, I tweeted something, uh, a, a quote that says, um, bad things happen when good people do nothing. So I agree with you. People should join hands together. People should talk about bad things that are happening um, in their society. What I was trying to say, maybe I didn't get it across right, is that people make it look like that one or two incidents relating to police misconduct, people talk about it like it's happened many times. That's what I'm trying to pass across. Okay, so it's okay to say, oh, something happened at Yaba yesterday and we all need to come out to condemn it. If the other person is talking about it, yes, that thing that happened at Yaba, that thing that happened at Yaba, let's know we're still talking about one incident. But some people tend to say, ah, police brutality again. Police brutality again. Ah, me too, as well as police brutality. Or I saw, or I heard of police brutality. So anybody going through the timeline would actually think, oh, several cases of police brutality has happened all over the state. That's what I'm trying to, uh, to correct. It's okay. Everybody should speak against it. I also join the, um, people to speak against uh, police brutality and other misconduct. So I hope I don't get um, misunderstood because I've been suffering that a lot recently. People just say, imagine what he's saying, when actually I didn't mean it that way. Yes, yes. And, and I think, I think that's, the, that's the importance of having long-form com uh, conversations, right? Because you don't just get to say something in a quick interview and maybe you're not, you, you don't get to art articulate yourself properly and people just take that narrative and run with it. I'm always very, very skeptical of people not looking at the entire picture and putting things like down. I truly, truly believe about, I truly, truly believe in having uncomfortable conversations and allowing people like hear what the person thinks, right? The individual. So that's something I fundamentally believe in. And <clears throat> back to what you said right now by saying um, maybe people use certain opportunities that is being presented of a bad act of a, or a bad misconduct to then talk about other things to make it seem like it's happening everywhere, right? Um, we can also look at it from two different perspectives, right? Um, people, um, people sometimes um, may not feel comfortable to talk about a particular issue or a traumatic incident that happened to them at a given time. But sometimes when they feel okay, there's enough support and the stage is kind of like right for me to talk and open up. Then they tend to like open up and talk about their own experience. It's the same thing like you just said right now. A lot of people are actually coming out to give um, good reviews and testimonies about their encounter with, with, the, with, with, um, with men of the Nigerian police, right? With, with officers, sorry, with officers in the Nigerian police, right? And when somebody comes out and says that, another person also is actually retweeting and or yeah, like quoting the tweet or tweeting and saying, yes, this also happened to me also. And I'm very, very glad it's not as bad as we think, right? There are days whereby it's all positive, right? And people who have even forgotten their positive encounter, like, oh, that, okay, this is a good time for me to say this because I remember this happened. So I think we can't, um, we can't take all the good and leave out all the bad. And we can't take out all the bad and leave out all the good. It's just about finding the balance. And sometimes I personally feel like maybe allowing people just express themselves, right? And finding the right... Um, 
um, things that you can respond to is way much better instead of just saying oh everybody's just using this as an opportunity to just say this or say that like if people are in kind of like the spirit or the mood to express themselves or talk about anything i think they should and that's the reason why we have a democracy. That's the reason why we have the freedom of expression, right? We can't really tell people. And like you said rightly on here, like with time and with the continuous work and efforts, people are still going to adjust their perceptions and their views. Maybe when them, they themselves, right, have a positive encounter, then they can come on their timeline and say, oh, okay, I know I've said this before, but I was really impressed with what I saw today. I think I've seen a lot of people who have actually said that right we can both agree that that's the case so it's all good there's a lot of things that needs to be done but slowly and surely would would actually get there as long as we're willing to have an honest conversation about what's really going on in our in our, in our communities so um what do you actually think are some of the misconceptions that are that are like maybe not as bad as it used to be but are still highly propagated today what would you say are some of them Yes, that <laughs> that there are more bad eggs in the force than good ones. <laughs> it's a very big misconception. Um, we have very many good police officers, so many officers that are better than me, so many. But like I said earlier in the interview, whenever they do something, even exceptionally well. People say, hey, they are doing their job now. That's what they are paid to do. So, so such, um, such um, stories don't go out. Even when it goes out, nobody looks at it. But when some officers misbehave, that goes far and wide. So that misconception is there that almost everybody in the force is corrupt. It isn't so. Okay. Okay. And any other any other misconception you like to really clear out that you've seen on your timeline or you see every day? Uh, I can't think of any other. So now, for now, right. I can't think of any other. Okay. Yes. Maybe as we continue with the conversation. So okay, speaking about people's personal experience, right? I'm mm. going to I'm going to try to talk about something from my own experience, what I've seen, right? Okay. So. We all know that, right, that the police needs to, you needs to ask questions from people within an environment when a crime happens or when something happens that needs to be investigated, right? We can all agree that that's very important. Like you rightly said earlier on, if, if the society does not provide the police with, with information, it's almost impossible to do your job, right? We can all agree about that. But I kind of find it very, I don't know, outdated, in our in our society today when something terrible happens and the police comes in instead of questioning people this is something i've experienced firsthand i'm not just saying um what the internet is saying instead of questioning people and maybe trying to get information it's all about arresting everybody within the vicinity of that crime scene i'll give you a perfect example so there was this church in my in my at the front of my street right so something very tragic happened whereby a dead body was discovered in the church. Apparently, it was the security of the church and he was killed very gruesomely at the altar of the church. Like, and the, the, even the mother weapon was even there. It was like a stone. They took it. I think he was fighting with some. Like you could see the whole 
messed up scene like okay a fight occurred and somebody hits him with the stone in his head and that was what led to his death and something right so the church came in the society gathered and everybody and the community gathered rather and the police was informed and they were brought in right so they came in to like you know secure the crime scene to make sure everything was in order they took away the body and the rest of it and for a minute it almost seemed like nothing else was happening this, this thing happened in the morning right later that evening the police came to the street and they started arresting everybody mind you these were people that some majority of the people were people that were coming in back from work people who were going on errands and the rest of it and they arrested a bunch of people over 20 people and those people like they had to take them to the to the police station some of them paid bail to easily quickly get out of that situation and get back to their families um we had somebody who his battery was even down and he couldn't reach out to his family and they were worried online because he, he had to sleep in the police station and all of that so yeah i get the fact that questions needs to be asked and tips and information needs to be getting from the from the public in order for the police to effectively effectively do their job but why in that particular situation do, do the police had to resort to arresting like arresting everybody and putting them in vans and taking them to the police station why well you call it um outdated archaic but it is what it is it's the law the law provides allows that so when a crime happens somewhere the law allows until the law is changed the law allows the police to take in as many people as possible within the vicinity of the crime the reason for that is to to preserve uh, to preserve information that would help in the apprehension of the criminal to preserve it as much as possible so the right thing to do is you bring all of these people in and you start asking them questions one after the other it's possible that the first person saw something not everything another person will tell you another thing he heard another person will tell you something he noticed so with the little information you get from everybody you are able to reconstruct the crime now where it's wrong in fact, what is wrong is where after listening to them, but you might even ask some people and they will tell you, I was not even there. I heard nothing. I was not even around when it happened. I was only around when you came to arrest. Such a person should be allowed to go. For those two that have told you one or two things about the crime that will be useful to you, after that, you allow them go, except there is something incriminating about them and you'd want to interview them further or... or interrogate them further so it's allowed but they should not be kept longer than necessary they get to the station you get what you want to get from them you allow them go immediately but the idea of uh, they have to pay money to build themselves is absolutely wrong it is corruption it is unprofessional conduct and we do not take it lightly so when if people are in that situation and um there's no way out. They are not even allowed to make calls. The moment they get out of that place, they need to report such conduct to higher authorities. Let them know that this is what your DPO is doing. They actually arrested us and um, extorted us so that we can, in fact, such things have led to, re to, to the removal of DPOs. 
and um and money is recovered and returned to the people so basically you can ask lawyers there's absolutely nothing wrong with that system of investigation what is wrong is extorting people as a, after after getting information or no information after screening them that's the word after screening them that's totally wrong and we we condemn it okay okay um thank you very much for clarifying that but my i, I just have a quick question as regards that right um is it possible for people to just be questioned on the road like like or, or where they are being found and not necessarily taken to the police station is that something that's possible it's possible when we're talking about one or two persons but sometimes when you need to actually cut off the crime scene like you don't want the person to have gone too far you just have to it's it's simple logic by the time you start questioning one person two persons the, the 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 criminal or somebody that knows about it will just walk away because he knows that so they have started questioning people it will soon be my turn the person will just walk away except we are saying that they've gathered everybody on the road and say okay let's question you one after the other so it, it's it can be difficult to gather people and say let's question it might be difficult to say let's just start questioning people one after the other so sometimes just to preserve the the investigation you just have to so how did you personally feel about the answers movement personally yeah i felt bad i felt bad it was and a mix anyway and you it felt, was a mix okay you felt it was bad a mix because because people actually killed police officers burnt police stations cutted rifles away um cutted police uniforms macheted burnt um roasted at that one happened in badon at police officers beheaded police officers in the east so i felt bad uh, so when i say it's a mix when i look at the demands too i feel like okay yes they are making good demands that the police would benefit from, but that wasn't the way to go about it. So it's a sore point for many of us. <clears throat> and um, that's that's the thing about chaos, right? Um, there's this powerful quote that says, chaos is a great hope for the people in the dark, right? So and that simply okay. means when, the, when a chaotic event happens, people actually take advantage of, that, of those situations. But like you rightly said we can't actually deny that the that the that the complaint of the people was not justified ultimately um how do you feel about the outcome i don't know <laughs> i don't know what was the outcome of the situation SARS being anybody... like SARS being disbanded and well maybe i don't know i really can't pinpoint one feeling i have about it i'm probably indifferent I'm just, I just know, I just know that it was a learning curve for everybody. For both sides, it was a learning curve. So we have taken lessons away from it. And um, we hope, we do hope that we don't find ourselves in that situation again. Okay. So what do you make of, what do you make of the, the current complaints that people are, have been recently putting up online about being harassed again by the police, almost like in the same sense, like wanting to check people's phones and, and 
maybe profiling people. I, 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 saw, I saw you saying something about profiling yesterday on, on your Twitter. But what do you make of the case that maybe this thing is silently but slowly coming back again in our society? Like some of the misconducts that led to the whole NSAS movement. Well, um, most, most, of our, most of the bad police officers want to take advantage of the fact that some um, civilians don't know the law. Let me say citizens. <laughs> Because somebody picked the offense at the word civilian. Okay. That some citizens don't know the law or are too timid to, to demand their rights. But for others that know their rights, they come out to say it, that, yes, this police officer wants us to check my phone. And I said, no. Why do you want to check my phone? You have no right to check my phone. And they said, oh, yeah, carry your wallet and go. Though I also know. That others have come out to say immediately. I said no. He just slapped me, dragged me into the Akurope, and did this and did that. So yes, um, I've been getting reports of policemen attempting to go through phones, which is totally, totally bad, totally uncalled for. But um, people have stood their ground and have left there unscathed. Um, people have called me and I've had to talk to the policemen to ask why exactly are you checking their phone? Oh, sorry, sir, you should go. So it's um. It's sad that we still have some police officers that do this. Um, for people that stand their ground and leave, fine. More people should do that. If everybody keeps saying no, 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 these um, bad police officers would know that they cannot get away with such. And for some that get away, they come back to tell me, those are the kind of people I even love the most. They come back to tell me, even if it's a message, like, oh, one of your police officers demanded to check my phone. I did not allow him. But I think you should know that this is going on. They're usually stationed at this place, and they're usually three in number. They usually use this vehicle so that um, we would identify these people and call them to order. I've had reasons to call a particular police officer to order in a particular place. He's always doing it. And I had to summon him to the headquarters. In fact, at the point, I proposed for him to be changed from that place. So... It's, it's, it's sad that we still have this, but uh, like I said at the beginning of this interview, it wouldn't change overnight, but from the statistics available to me, it is reducing by the day. Some might say it's slow, it should, it, should, it should happen faster, but it's reducing by the day. And we'll continue to put in efforts and we encourage more people to report such sightings to us so that we'll continue to uh, deal with it. Okay. And... Um... In that regard, what would you like to see more from people when they have interactions with police officers? What would you like to see more from people? Well, just civility. Civility. Because um, people come with transferred aggression. <laughs> and I'm not talking about aggression they are transferring from their personal lives. No. Um, aggression they are transferring from previous experiences with the police. And um, the aggression is not from their personal life. They are bringing aggression from their previous experiences with police officers so they tend to be hostile and very unfriendly when they see police officers um recently or just two days ago i tweeted about respect uh, being reciprocal now when you see police officers try to be to be um civil friendly and respectful and some people took me up on that and say no yeah you don't you can't demand respect from me i don't owe you respect all i all i all i uh, require from you is for you to protect me i pay your salary with my tax so don't demand respect no i'm not saying respect is compulsory that it is mandatory no i'm just saying people should be civil 
Okay. Um, I think um, you just made a very strong point and about what I was trying to say earlier on before about talking about the trauma that comes with these experiences that people have heard or, or people have experienced rather and from things people have heard, right? Because you talked about people coming into interactions with um, the police officers with um, transferred aggression, right? Like you rightly said. And I think there's a reason for that transferred aggression, right? People have experienced, thing in the, experienced things in the, in the past and it's almost impossible for for them to just forget about that experience and act like it never happened. Sometimes it's not like they are doing it on on purpose rather. They're not like doing it on purpose or consciously. It's just the mere fact that it's in their subconscious to act that way because they don't feel safe and because of what they've experienced before in the past. It's like a defense mechanism. They're not doing it on purpose, right? It's almost like it's in their subconscious for them to act that way because of what they've experienced before in the past or what their friends have experienced. So whenever they, they come into these interactions, it's almost like they're on the defensive end. They're like on the back foot. And to a, to, to a degree, it's almost like we can't really blame people for having this kind of response. Or what do you actually think about that? No, no, it's fine. I, I understand. I understand what they've been through, where, where they're coming from. But at the same time, we need to exercise some restraints in um, addressing anybody. I can't, I can't um, say because the last medical doctor I had encounter with was very unprofessional. Every other medical doctor I see, I start being hostile to them. Try to um, take everybody on an individual basis. The next police officer you are meeting could actually could actually be one of the good ones. So try try to give them the benefit of the doubt. Once they start misbehaving, you can bring your hostility. I think that's how people should go about it. Okay. As for I... me, it's, it's it's actually painful for me when people see me or comment online and say they are all the same. They are all corrupt. All of them they collect bribe. All of them do this. All of them do that. Somebody said, oh, I was looking so good. My uniform was so neat that he was very sure that it was being funded by the boys on the road collecting money from motorists. So those kind of things hurt because that is not the case. So let them just take people on individual merits. Okay. Yeah, I think I think we can come to some agreement on that particular, on that particular um, part. So... We just talked about um, what um, you would most likely expect and maybe the advice you would give to um, to Nigerians when they have interactions with the police. So what would you like to see? Let's flip the coin here. What would you like to see more from the from the officer's perspective, like when they have interactions with, with Nigerians? What would you like to see more from them? Same thing applies, civility civility and um that that brings me to this issue of profiling profiling in itself is not a bad thing it's not an illegal thing it's not unlawful the way people make it to seem what comes after um stopping someone and questioning someone is is what could be the issue now okay so i see somebody and i stop the person and i ask questions and the person is able to give me satisfactory answers and the person leaves. So that I stop the person because of a particular appearance is profiling and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in criminal, um, in, the, in, in criminal justice circle. 
There's absolutely it's bad. The, the 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 complete term is criminal profiling. Police departments all over the world use it, but the extortion or the harassment that could come from it is what we totally condemn. So people should be civil. The police stops you because of some statistics, criminal statistics um, available to us. For example, all the all the armed robbers or kidnappers were arrested recently in the past three months. You know, we just don't arrest, prosecute, and go to go back to work. We also study the everything about the crime so that we can take some things from it. We have the statistics, we have the records. So, um, okay, so the, so the last, um, the last, all the kidnappers we arrested in the last three months, we now discover that, oh, they all use Toyota Corolla. Um, most of them operate around Aja. I'm using an example now. Okay, I'm Toyota Corolla. Most of them operate around Aja. And usually there are three in the car so that when they see a fancy car, they just park behind the car. One person goes to the driver, the other person gains entrance through the passenger side, while the third person keeps watch to see if police is approaching. So we gather these statistics, we gather and gather over time, and we disseminate it. So what we are looking out for more than any other thing is Toyota Corolla, three guys around Aja. And there could actually be three guys, Toyota Corolla, around Aja, and there's nothing wrong with them. They are not criminally minded. They have no intention of committing crime. They are probably siblings or father and sons going out. So what I expect from people is understanding and civility. Once the police stops you, stop, stay calm. Please, may I know you? Where are you coming from? Where are you going to? Can I see your ID? Can I see your vehicle papers? Okay, have a safe journey. And you go. But people should not take offense that, oh, because we're three in the vehicle, they have to stop us. This same thing you are condemning has helped us arrest criminals several times. If you go through my Twitter handle or you just Google it, recently, like two months back, we arrested three men in a in a Corolla in a jack with a Beretta pistol. If you know what a Beretta pistol is, you would know that this is the same kind of pistol that American police officers use, high-caliber weapon. It's a pistol, but it's a high-caliber weapon, not locally made. And these guys had it. And further investigation showed that they, they've been involved in kidnapping. They just kidnap people, collect ransom, and go. And they are also involved in cultism. So this stopping, stopping people based on our statistics has helped people. I mean, has helped us um, arrest criminals. So if we stop you based on these things, like, oh, you have dreadlock, or, oh, you have tattoo, we stop you, stop. May I know you, I am this, this is my ID card, this is where I work. Fine, you can go. I don't think people should get angry at that. But people have the right to complain and take it up when, after you introduce yourself, you are able to give satisfactory answer. The police officer remains adamant and wants to extort you and say, no, you are a fraudster, even when there's nothing to prove that. That is totally wrong. That is unprofessional. So on our part, like you asked, I expect our men to, to be very civil, to be very professional and don't force things on people don't force a crime on somebody that is not a criminal we lecture them the the, the commissioner of police Abiyadu often get, um, invites all the POs, all the commanders to the headquarters where he tells them these things and instructs them to go back and tell their men and they do these things he's been yielding some fruits we'll continue to do that and we'll continue to punish 
errand officers. Yeah, thank you very much for making that very that that clarification. I think that's that will be kind of a little bit helpful to people and get them to understand <clears throat> um, the perspective of the police and why um, those things happen sometimes. So I think we can all agree here, um, the both of us can agree that um, at the end of the day, we're talking about bad actors giving the Nigerian police a horrible name, right? So now, yes. how do we then move forward? Like, what can we do on a scalable level, like, to help bring these bad actors in the in the Nigerian police to to justice? What can we do apart from um, and social media and people recording their interactions and the rest of it? What can be done on a scalable level that the Nigerian police is actually thinking about that would actually help bring these bad actors to justice? Well, the things you said are very important. We should say apart from that. It shouldn't even be apart from that because those are the major things. People need to report. If they have pictures, fine. If they have videos, fine. But very importantly, people need to report. And those people that report even need sometimes to show up and make statements. Because sometimes um, the way it works, you want to punish an officer for a wrongdoing. But there's nobody showing up to say, yes, he did this. He slapped me or he collected money from me. There's nobody willing to own up to that or put it down in writing. It might be difficult to secure punishment for such officers. So uh, I, I just want to point that out, that reporting is very important. Now, um, I also like the saying, the more, the merrier. So you report to the police. That's just one of the options. If people laugh and say, oh, a policeman uh, misbehaved, you are reporting to the police again, but nothing good can come out of it. But that's not true. Things come out of it. But like I was saying, the more demerit, people report to the police. People also report to the police service commission who has powers over police officers. The police service commission is responsible for appointing officers, promoting officers, disciplining officers, um, retiring officers or dismissing officers. So uh, everything about me, my, my appointment letter reads Police Service Commission. My promotion letter reads Police Service Commission. So people can actually report directly to Police Service Commission the excesses of a particular police officer. And the Police Service Commission from time to time summons these people based on petitions received to, to listen to them and if found wanting, punish them appropriately. So the Public Complaints Commission too is there. People report to them and they actually come over to contact us. Um, I mean, they come over, they contact us to say, oh, we received such reports. Please, Pierre, can you give us more information about it? Public Complaints Commission have been in my office a couple of times. Where they border on human rights, the NHRC has been to our command a couple of times, National Human Rights Commission. So there are many places people can report to, but we cannot take out the place of reporting for justice to happen, for us to see that um, all of these things um, are, are tackled head on. And um, well, it's okay to talk about it on Twitter, on Facebook, but when it's time to do the needful, that person on Twitter might need to show up or send his lawyer if he doesn't want to show up. Um, I hear what you're saying and I hear you very, very clearly. Um, the the, the parts where you talked about um, people 
um, not only reporting but following up on cases, right? Does that not make Does that not make them targets? Does that not make them a target? Like I'm showing up, um, making it known I'm the person who's writing this petition against a police officer or bringing writing this statement or wanting to bring justice for what was done. Does that not automatically make that person a target? Well, until the laws are changed, it might be difficult actually to get these police officers punished because there are laws we follow, internal laws. It's called Odlerum trial. During the trial, somebody has to, just like your court process, somebody has to testify against this person. Somebody has to, um, um, somebody has to lend credence to the accusation. And in the absence of such, we've had Odlerum trials where nobody shows up. And they tell the person to go. We've had court cases where no witness shows up. And the magistrate will just strike out the case. So I understand what you're saying. There could be targets, yes, but it is what it takes until the laws are changed. Some people choose not to show up. They just let the case go. Some people choose to send their lawyers to say, go and represent me. I give you the authority to talk on my behalf. And um, some people actually come up to say nothing will happen. I am coming up. Recently, a police officer went into into someone's apartment. Not that he, he snaked into his apartment. He knocked on the door and said, we're a police officer. Went into the house, saw $5,000, took it, arrested the boy, took him um, to the nearest POS um, operator, checked the boy's balance. The boy had um, 1.7 million naira in his account balance. And he withdrew, the police officer withdrew, um, I think 1.4, leaving 300,000 for the person and, and drove away. And told the boy that if he misbehaved, that he would kill him. That that was bad, but that happened. But I appreciated it that the boy came out, even went to rugged man. Rugged man made lots of noise about it, and the boy came out like I'm not afraid. I would do this. Those boys are in our cells now. They they were arrested. They were disarmed. All their arms collected from them, and they are likely going to be dismissed from the force and prosecuted because what they did is hacking is, is more or less armed robbery you go with arms collect five thousand dollars 1.4 million and threatens to kill the boy so in as much as we have people that don't want to come out because they don't want to be targets we have others that send their lawyers we also have others that come out and so far nothing has happened to them and we also take x percent guarantee but well, we, we, we understand, we take cognizance of that concern and we do things, we put measures in place to make sure that even the complainant is a bit um, safe. Okay. Okay. I guess, I guess my question um, to that would be, okay, so is there no way I can provide me, for example, let me use myself, is there no way I can provide enough evidence of, some, of, of wrongdoings and not still making myself public. So, okay, if I okay, can provide... I'll that. Okay. okay, I'll answer that. There are several people that have come to me. DM, I've never set my eyes on them. DM and say, ah, your policeman extorted me, 100K, 200K. I said, really? Where? And they tell me everything. Do you, did you see their name? They say, yes, one of them is ABC. I said, okay, fine. I, I called the DPO. Do you have any ABC in your division? Yes please, I need him to see me in the office tomorrow morning. Or if 
there's still time that they, he must come now. And he comes. You extended somebody of so so blah blah blah. Ah, okay, not true. Okay, I beg. No, let CP know. Not true. First and foremost, where is the money? And they bring the money. And I call the person. I've recovered your money. Come and take it. Be like, no, I don't want to come. Let me send my account number. And you send it to me. And everybody is afraid to use account number to send it. So that then the man who receives the money will not show the evidence that, see, they even sent money to me. So we too, sometimes I use my account to send it if it's not much, if I have that money in my account. Sometimes I also go to the POS somewhere on the street to say, okay, send this money. We bear the cost of transfer sometimes. So those ones work. But the point I'm making about definitely showing up is getting those men to be punished. Okay, now, so I recovered money from some police officers. I, I give it back to the owner. Then I take the police officers to the provost department, which is responsible for discipline. And the provost department starts trial. We call it Odlerum trial. And the provost department says, okay, PRO, you brought these people for trial. Can we get the complainants? And the complainant does not show up. And they adjourn. And I call the complainant again and again, and he doesn't show up. Later, this police officer will be sent away. You might say, but ah, there's evidence that he collected money now. He has returned the money, blah, blah, blah. Well, that might not really secure the conviction you want because the person that was extorted has not come out to say, yes, this is me. I get my point here. So you are right. I can get information from you and write the wrong, but without you showing up, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would be difficult, very difficult to, to get that police officer punished. But in our own little way, we can just do, we do something in our own little way because we cannot exactly secure a conviction. Because even if you do, the person might appeal, protest, that no, they lied against me. I've seen all sorts in this job. Like they lied against me. Yeah, let the person come out. The person that said I collected money should come out. Let me see him. It's a lie. It's a setup. So what we do in our own little way is to give them some sort of, sort of, mark my word, some sort of punitive posting, a posting that will serve as punishment. Okay, leave where you are. We transfer you to headquarters. And when we transfer you to headquarters, we post you to the gate. All you do is be at the gate. All visitors that want to enter the headquarters, you have to question them, ask them questions, you know, and that's all. Sometimes we post you to one office, maybe records department, where you'll be in charge of putting things in file, just filing, filing, filing. So it's you and file every day. You don't have the uh, opportunity of relating with civilians or citizens where you now start talking of extorting them. So we do some sort of posting like that. Sometimes we even post people out of Lagos completely. Okay, go to Nasarawa, go to Joss, and just, just go there so that um, you don't continue to be a menace to society here. So we do those things. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, that answers my question. But now, now this is, um, and it also gives an opportunity for me to ask another question. So I hear what you're saying very, very clearly. I hear the facts that you talk about. Um, if 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 people don't show up, it's almost impossible, in your own words, to actually get a conviction. But my own question to that would be: the mere fact of admission to the fact that they've done something wrong, and you use the case of recovering money from somebody, the mere fact that you are acting under that authority of saying this officer has been identified for doing something absolutely wrong, and 
he has even gone an extra step to say, okay, here is the money, for example, that I collected from somebody. And you are you are sending that money back to the person to that person that was actually robbed or that money was collected from. Is that not enough admission and evidence to to convict that person for the person actually going as far as admitting and releasing the money that was collected in that particular case? Is that not enough to get a conviction? See, it's law. That's what law is. Okay, so the the the, the process starts. And the only proof that it happened was that I, the PRO, is saying, yes, he returned the money to me and I gave it back to the person. Now, this person, you've not seen desperate people. A desperate person says, no, I did not give him any money. I did not give him any money. So it's now his word against mine. The only thing that we, that we um, tip the balance against him is when another person shows up to say, yes, I actually, he actually collected money from me and the PR recovered it and gave it back to me. So it is law. It is the same thing that happens in court of law. That's why many cases get struck out. So, and that's why some of these cases are still pending. We've not concluded because the person has refused to show up. There was a, there was a, there was a well-celebrated case. There's this guy on Twitter, um, Harrison Gramsci, something like that. Harrison Gramsci, you know, something like that. You know, his client is a lawyer. His client was extorted of 400,000 naira. He came with his client. They came and testified and wrote, they even wrote their statements. And it helped a great deal. So it is what it is. It is law. Admission, uh, um, admitting that I did this. Uh, and the PRO testifying against you sometimes will not secure what it's, it's, it's good. And that's why out of the need to actually serve some sort of punishment, like I said earlier, we transfer these people, just get out of this system. And anytime, the case is not closed, the case is pending. Anytime that person is able to come forward or send a lawyer or even send his written statement signed, that okay, this is what happened. This is what happened. And he signs on that, puts his name, sends it across. That stands as a statement. Fine. It's a, a, a conviction can be secured. It's not until the person comes in person. But in a case where the person does not want to talk about it at all, it will be difficult to. I didn't write the laws. So if the laws can be amended to say, oh, just returning the money should be enough to convict the person, fine. It will start to be done. Okay. Um, I hear what you're saying. And not to be confrontational here, I'm just trying to get a little bit of clarity in order to help people better understand how they can actually get um, justice for wrongdoings that are being done to them. That's that's what I'm trying to get at here. And, you know, I started off this session of this interview by asking about this, um, this segment of this interview by asking about scalable solutions that can be put forth, right? And why I asked that question is simply because I almost had a premonition for some of the answers you were going to give. And it's, 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 it's almost like a large burden of the responsibility still falls on, on Nigerians and the people who have, who have suffered through this terrible and traumatic experience. And that's, that's where I'm attacking this whole situation from. 
we have to look at things you 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 there was there's something you keep saying through the course of this interview and which is like um you didn't make the law and as long as the law remains in this way as long as this process is still this way it's almost impossible to do certain things okay and that's my question what is the ni- the Nigerian police and people like you being fully aware that oh a lot can be done if these laws these roadblocks are not being put in place that is actually causing a lot of people who are guilty to get away scot free what can we do as this um reputable institution to make sure that there's a kind of a process whereby the victim can be protected and justice can be served as long as okay. there's enough evidence from the victim to say okay yeah. this actually happened then we can protect the identity of this person we can have a, we can have a, a situation whereby this person goes through a confidential process and everything is being confirmed then as long as that evidence is being gathered through that process then the the person who's at fault can bear the fault what's your name what, what's your name sorry my name is tony Tony, okay. Uh-huh. Tony, so I understand what you're saying. I said something earlier. I don't know if you missed it. You can actually make a written representation and sign it and send it. You don't have to come. And now for those that come, some say, please protect me. I don't even want to see that person. I don't want him to see me. Yes, we, it, it's available. It's done. The same way you see in movies, identification parade, all the policemen will stand and they'll say, identify who it is. And those people that are that are to be identified cannot even see who is identifying them. So it's possible. Like, can you identify the man? This is the man. Okay, the man is not seeing you. Write your statement. Sometimes there's cross-examination. The person you're accusing needs to ask you some questions like, are you sure I'm the one you saw? How much did you say I collected? Um, so things happen. We can also arrange it that you don't see the person. So the confidentiality part can be arranged. But the point, the problem I always have is people don't even want to come at all. They'll be like, eh, even the person that sees me at the gate, even if it's not the accused, the person that sees me at the gate, I don't even trust him. You will still go and tell them that I was the one. People don't even trust at all. They don't even want to come and see me. Sometimes when I say, okay, just come to me, PR. Like, no, I'm not coming. I don't trust you people. Somehow, some other person will still know that I came. Now, let's talk about the issue you said about the law. Since we know that the law is the problem, what are we doing to to change it. Well, changing the law will not come from us. It will come from the people. The laws are not secret. The Police Act is there. The Police Act 2020, the recently passed one is there. Lawyers have access to it. Citizens have access to it. And um, it's left for people to make a motion. Somebody moved a motion for this law, for this Police Act to be amended. And it was amended last year, 2020, two years ago. So still, this part we are talking about, we're not touched there the way they are. Another person can still move another motion. There's no limit to how many times you can amend any law. But the, the motion for amendment won't come from the police. It will come from the people. The people make the law. We only enforce the law. So, and, and, and we have regular meetings with NBA, Nigerian Bar Association, regular meetings. So they know these things. Sometimes they tell, they highlight these things. Sometimes we highlight it to them. So, so it's a collective responsibility. If we don't talk about amending the laws, the NBA is there to, to talk about amending the laws. Our lawmakers are there to talk about amending the laws. People can contact their lawmakers and say, this is the problem we have. Can you move a motion for this? And it scales through first and second reading. 
and they pass it to Mr. President, they assent to the bill, it becomes the amended act. So it, 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 it shouldn't fall on the police alone. Everybody is there. And like I said, they are not secret. Everybody can take a copy and, and do something about it. Yeah, thank you very much for clarifying that. Thank you very much. So I guess um, people hearing that and me even hearing that would actually make me look into some of these laws and see. So yeah, thank you very much. So I'm rounding up, right? So I would, I would basically like to ask for some security tips that um, the general public needs to be aware of that would um, help in order to um, help us have a safe environment. So um, we've been hearing about this kidnapping situation and you even talked about it yourself um, when you talked about the, the men that were, that were arrested in Lagos. So how can people actually, um, what, what are some of the things people can actually look out for in order to help them avoid being kidnapped? Well, the, the, the list is, uh, is um, endless we can keep adding to it every day and every day but basically basically try your best not to go to a place you're not familiar with at night it's your first time of going somewhere try not to go at night because the moment you start asking some guys at night that please where is number this where is this street and they have a sense that this person is a stranger this person doesn't know anywhere they are more likely to harm you so don't go to a new place at night um don't board vehicles at random places. Try to pick vehicles at designated bus stops. Um, the criminal is less likely to come to the bus stop to pick people. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's less likely. They would rather pick people along the road. And um, if you are using ride-hailing apps, make sure the information match. I've, it has happened to me personally where it said a, a black gorilla would be coming. And I actually saw a white gorilla. And I was able to to uh, to avoid the vehicle because there was information mismatch. And um, these apps too have security features. I took a bolt home yesterday, and the first thing I did when I when we started the trip was to share my ride, share it so that people can know where you are at every point in time, and um, keep a low profile. Actually, keep a low profile. Some of the people that have been kidnapped, uh, the kidnappers will tell you that it wasn't just random kidnap. We didn't just go out and just pick anybody. That we actually went after this person. And what was the reason? The person was very um, was very loud on social media. The person goes to the safari in Dubai. He posted safari in Dubai. And the posting is not even for friends only. The setting says public. <clears throat> so people know that, oh, you went to Dubai, you went for safari, then you went to this shopping mall, then you bought this, you tried this on, or and you're coming back to the city. So people feel, oh, he has money, let's kidnap. So I will go to church and share useless testimonies. I go, 10 of us bidded for this contract too, a contract worth 15 million era. To the glory of God, I got the contract. Praise the Lord. Okay, so people know 15 million era is somewhere. Let's take out of it. And that will determine even the ransom they are demanding for. Like we need 15 million. They just want to take everything. So people need to keep a low profile. People need to take um, security measures. People need to have speed dials on their phone. Have speed dials. Have um, numbers you can just, you know, all these features on phones that says you can 
press on the side button five times to 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 send SMS, SOS SMS, and all that. So people need to do all of these things. And by and large, be watchful, be watchful. If trust your hunch, if you want to buy a vehicle and just mere hunch says, I don't think these guys are right. I think they, they are up to no good. Trust your hunch. It doesn't cost you anything. Allow them go and board another vehicle. So by and large, we need to be watchful. And um, if you see anything out of the ordinary, don't hesitate to pass it across to security agencies. The numbers are available for the police, the DPOs and everybody. In fact, in case you're in a place where you don't even know the DPO of the place, you don't even know where you are, we have some central numbers that uh, are domiciled at the headquarters in Ikeja. Just call and explain what is going on and we can send the nearest patrol vehicle to you. So basically, people need to be watchful, take, in, take make use of some of these tips and um, everything hopefully would be fine. Yeah, hopefully hopefully um, people can take that and run with that. Um, where Where can we easily, where can the public easily get some of these numbers? Or most of like most of the numbers. Yes, um, um, so our social media handles: Lagos State Police Command on Twitter, Lagos State Police Command on Instagram. Uh, if you just check our bio page, you'll see all the complaint lines. And for me, Benjamin Hundey on Twitter, my pinned tweet is um a list of the phone numbers of DPOs and area commanders, and um. My my WhatsApp profile contains a catalog that has the phone numbers of all the and recommenders. These are numbers I update regularly. So the numbers are there. People can even Google and see some of these numbers. And for those that are outside Lagos, or even those that are listening to me in Lagos and uh, will be traveling outside Lagos, they might need some of some important numbers in that state they are in. Um, they can just go to, even before they travel, they can just quickly get numbers down. They can just go to npf.gov.ng. Um, I don't know the slash now, slash contacts underscore PRO, but that's too long. Just go to police website, npf.gov.ng. At the top of the page, you will see contacts of PROs at the top of the page. Click on it and you'll see the phone numbers of all PROs in the country. In fact, places you never knew had PROs, you would see. Airport Command has PR. That's why when students were protesting at the airport, all the journalists that called me to get my reaction, I did not react. I said, no, it's not my jurisdiction. It's happening at the airport called the PR Airport. So you see all the PRs, Airport Command, Port Authority Command, Railway Command, First CID Alagmo, which is also not under my jurisdiction, Zone 2 Onikon, which is also under <clears throat> not under my jurisdiction, all of these places, you would see the numbers of their PR. If you are traveling to Enugu, you are going to Kanu, you would see everything. So that's where you can always um, stay in touch. Okay, thank you very, very much. Um, I know, I know a lot of people would basically um, <laughs> still have complaints about how I conducted this interview, but my sole aim was to really 
get things from both sides and hopefully in the future we if you are open to it we can maybe have a conversation sometime to maybe go in depth and do a deep dive and maybe address some particular um issues or cases and i would really like to also beg the public um or anyone who listens to this if you if you have specific questions or specific things that you felt that you feel i should have maybe brought up maybe um sending a message to um help facilitate um some of this um to help me better facilitate um or better conduct an interview next time will be truly truly helpful and um rounding up um is there anything at all you feel i should have asked that i didn't know enough to ask no i think you've asked all the germane issues I think you've asked everything, so we are fine. Uh, I would just want to add that, yes, like you said, people will still feel that, oh, the interview was too soft on the PRO. It could have gone harder. You could have asked um, harder questions and all that. Yeah, but hopefully we'll have another session where you can ask some other questions you have not asked now. I'll be willing to answer to the best of my ability. It might be very difficult, almost impossible to give satisfactory answers. When I say satisfactory, not from my point of view, but from the listener's point of view, you know, it might be difficult to give them what satisfies them. It might be difficult to convince them. People just sometimes don't even believe when you talk. They'll be like, oh, it's just a PR. It's just doing his job. What do you expect him to say? So it's, it's a difficult job, I must say. It's very difficult because I get all the insults that, that, that are meant for the entire police force. Everyone just directs them at me, like I'm the face of the force. And they, they, they say it openly, they come to my DM, they call me, send me SMS. You know, I get all of this. I try to maintain my cool. I try to explain things to people. So it can be quite difficult. So it's understandable if people feel this interview wasn't hard enough. But like I said, get information. I mean, get questions from people. Let's do this again. And we'll keep, to, we'll keep working together to to get a better society yeah thank you very much i'm very very glad you're open to that possibility of um bringing questions and collecting questions from the public and putting them forward to you i'm really really grateful for this opportunity thank you very very much for taking the time to have this conversation with me so yeah do take care of yourself and enjoy the rest of your day i'll be in touch thank you very much for listening to this conversation to support this podcast please like share leave a comment or review and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Piers underscore Arena. Thank you once more.